There we go. Okay. Hello there, gentle listeners. Welcome to Buffyverse Comic Book Club, where we are reading and discussing Buffyverse comics in mostly chronological order. I'm Emily. And I'm Sam. And we are recording this in my living room. So if you hear any background noise, just imagine you're here with us. How long have you been a fan of Buffy? How many years? Um, One million? I've been a fan of Buffy for over a decade. It's like 13 years, maybe. Okay. At this point, since I first watched it, approximately. I've been a fan of the shows for a long time. Sam and I just finished our watch of Angel and Buffy some months ago and decided to attempt this podcast. It was the first time Sam watched both shows all the way through. He'd Before seen that, like a couple I had only seen a few episodes, yeah. And I have read some of the comics before, not all of them. And Sam knows a lot of things about comics, and I don't. So we thought it'd be fun to read them all together and talk about them and we hope that out there somewhere someone else will read some of them with us maybe not all of them because a lot of them are out of print and a little annoying to find on the topic of many of them being out of print if you do not know the current situation as we're recording this is that boom studios has the license for buffy the vampire slayer comics And they have not re-released a lot of the old stuff that Dark Horse did. And I don't think they've re-released any of the stuff that was published by IDW. So there's a lot of stuff that isn't currently in print. But you can check used bookstores. You can check local comic shops that have back issues or used books. And you can also check the internet. And you can check the library. Libraries are great. Thousands of copies are printed of each one. It's, they're not too hard to find, for the most yeah. part. We're going through these fairly quickly. We're not really doing an extremely detailed deep dive on the podcast. There are a lot of Buffyverse comics, and we also aren't so interested in being, you know, talking as if we are the authority on them um, and on the correct way to read them uh, because. There is great subjectivity in reading. And so we're really interested in hearing from you. If any of these comics are of interest to you and you wind up reading them, or maybe because, you know, they've been around for years, maybe you read them already and you have thoughts, email us, buffyversecomicbookclub at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter, comment on Instagram. Buffy Comics Pod. We would love to hear from you. We would love this to be an experience reading them. It's not just us reading them and talking to you about them. We want to hear from you. We want to be reading them with you. We want you to be reading them with us. That's our hope here. Or that's my hope here. Is that your hope here? Yes. Great. Uh, Since we're going in chronological order, we're going to be talking about the first three stories from Tales of the Slayers, and then we're going to be talking about Angel versus Frankenstein, and then we're going to come back to Tales a bunch of times 
um, in future episodes until we get all the way through that. But yeah, um, let's get into that, I guess. Um, so the first three comics that we are going to be talking about today, your options for getting a physical copy of them, uh, it's all out of print stuff, but these comics are in the paperback Tales of the Slayers, which was released in 2002, and then in 2011 there was a huge, huge hardcover collecting uh, Tales of the Slayers and Tales of the Vampires, um, and that is, like, the size of that book is to go with the gigantic library editions, like, the images are all blown up, so that's really cool. Um, I know the Massachusetts library system does have a copy, so you might be able to get that at a library if you want to look at a physical copy that is massive. And then there was also another version that collected Tales of the Slayers and Tales of the Vampires, uh, but it was paperback, and the size of the book is to match the Dark Horse Omnibus, and that's from 2018. So those are your options for getting your hands on those. Um, yeah. The first story that we'll be talking about is called Prologue. It was written by Joss Whedon, drawn by Lanille Francis Yu, who is known for working with Mark Millar on Super Crooks and some other miniseries that are being adapted by Netflix, and has also had a run on X-Men that was very popular. Inked by Dexter Vines, colored by Dave Stewart, and lettered by Michelle Madsen. So yeah, much like with the shows, which have many different writers and directors for different episodes, and many different people work on them, Joss Whedon did not write all of these. He also didn't write all the show. Yeah, he didn't. And a lot of different artists, many people working on these. Um, and you might start recognizing names as you read more of the comics. So that's fun. Um, cool. This is a very, very short little story about the first Slayer, uh, Sinea. She is slaying a vampire outside her village, and a woman from her village comes out with a basket of food and offers it to her and asks her to leave because the people of the village are afraid of her because she's part demon as far as they can understand about what the shadow men did. The woman from the village does not address her by name. This woman gets a name once. One time on the entire show, I believe, in this, the character in the script and the credits is named Primitive instead of Sinea. Um, she's only she's only named in the episode where they do the enjoining spell. And like the rest of the time, she's just the first slayer. When they're doing the enjoining spell in Primeval, Willow mentions the first slayer by name, referring to her as Sinea, first of the ones. And then in the episode immediately following, like, that's just, like, thrown out, the fact that she has a name. It's just, like, completely just pretend that didn't happen because I think she even has, she gets a line saying that she has no name. 
And she doesn't even say it because additionally, she doesn't have speech because Tara is in Buffy's dream, like translating. So that's all very fucked up. And again, in this comic, she is not referred to by name because it's a comic and not a TV show we get like some dimension of her internal experience that we didn't get on the show and she's just alone and she feels alone so when I was reading this I took notes so I have like she considers herself alone but is it necessarily a very lonely kind of alone or is it like she has this sense that she is the one who is powerful enough to do this thing she has to do. I think it's a lonely alone because of the face she makes like two pages later. It very much feels like she has this thought that if she slays all of the vampires, she will again get to be part of her village. Oh, that's not what I was thinking at all. Because it's once again will be a... I thought it was just going to be alone. Interesting. I think it's her, like, wanting to be able to go back to her village. Then the village says, no, you're, there's a demon inside of you. We are scared of you. Please leave and never come back. Oh, that's... It's the reoccurring theme in these stories, is that the slayers are feared. Yes. killed or sent away. Yes. Yeah. My read of it was that she was like, I'm alone. I am here with this vampire in this fight, but I will defeat it, and then it will be gone, and then I am alone again. Like, that is, like, that. that's, like, how I was reading it, but I think your read also makes sense and, like, is a lot more miserable. Yes. It's supposed to be very miserable, if you can tell. Because then it comes back to it with the internal dialogue later, where she's like, others, the thought fills me with feelings I have struggles to name, confusion, pity, comfort. There will be others like me. But I hate that whole part of the internal dialogue, and I think they should have cut it. But it goes back to that. The, like, she feels bad for them, but is a little comforted by the fact that she's not the only one that will have to go through those feelings. Yeah. She and so sad. And do you think it's sort of, like, hardened into the other kind of alone over time? Because when she talks... Yeah, when she Because when she talks later, to Buffy, she's very, like... Well, that's what happens. No, you can't have friends and blah 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 yeah because she was forced to not have any connections yeah her village sent her away yeah so yeah she gets hardened so that was a note i had and then also um she has such a strong sense of certainty that like she will defeat the vampire like oh yeah do you think what she has all those magic powers that we see in uh, the bonding ritual episode? The Matrix powers? Yeah. Does she have the Matrix powers? Because that would be kind of <laughs> sweet, you know? Because, <laughs> like, for them to just swipe that scene from the Matrix was such a move. It was, like, a real power move in my mind. But if someone was doing that hundreds of years before, whoa. Turning the grenade into birds? Do you think she can do that? That would be awesome. Yo, vampires would be doomed if every Slayer could just do that, you know? <laughs> if every Slayer was Neo, that would be amazing. <laughs> but it makes sense because they are the ones, and he is the one. So really, Neo is a Slayer. That's it. Okay. Sure. This uh, was originally published 
in February of 2002. So that was during season six of Buffy. So this was after this character was introduced on the show and it was after Buffy went on her little vision quest thing in the desert to ask for guidance. However, it is before Get It Done in season seven of Buffy. Uh, So I think there are some things that do not connect quite right because in Get It Done... I believe it is indicated that they, like, forced some demon essence into the first Slayer, but now it seems like somehow they did something before she was born. Or it could just be a weird turn of phrase that means the same thing, or it could just be something that doesn't totally match up because there was an amount of time between when this was written and Get It Done was written. I imagine it was, like, a rebirth. Okay. Like, when the demon was forced inside of her, she was reborn as the slayer Mm. okay yeah yeah i wrote down the line you will be in them and they in each other and you will never die and it felt powerful or something Hmm. she is made to be so isolated and she's also given this eternal line of people she is in a way, collaborating with across time. I don't know. I also want to... How old is she, do you think? No clue. Right? One more thing, maybe, that I wrote here. Um, I think it, 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 like, humanizes her more than the show did because we get to see her own thoughts and experiences from a time when she was not just being called upon to help Buffy. Um, because obviously, Buffy is the main character on Buffy, and so pretty much anything that's happening is in service to Buffy. To her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of most of the internal dialogue used in it. Yeah. I feel like there's some interesting bits, but it really takes away from uh, Lydia Francis's art, in my mind. Because he's showing those facial expressions. You see what she's feeling. Yeah. Like, when they ask her to leave and never come back, you see how sad she is. I feel like the last, the final splash page where it says, Tales of the Slayers, would have looked so much better without the speech bubble, or like thought bubble in the corner. It was just the white with the drawing of her on it. It would have just looked so much better. Yeah, that would have like... And punched so much yeah, harder. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, I mean, I also really like that on that page he signs it a U Vines joint. I just think that's fun. It reminds me of a Spike Lee movie, because all of his movies are joints. Like if they just left off that one last little thought bubble thing, it would still make sense mm-hmm. because it, like there will be others could just trail off. And then you get the Tales of the Slayers thing with her walking away. I feel like that would have been... They could have done that. It just... Uh, sometimes it's good to get rid of yep. some things. <laughs> um, Maybe I'll put a little white out over yeah, the like me and we can check it out. The art's really cool. Yeah, I like the art. And I do want to note that like 
yeah, the portrayal of this character in the show as well as comics does leave much to be desired. Um, it's a show made by white people and it's mostly about white people. And like this character I think is cool and she's very significant. It's not like a bad character, but like when one of your few significant people of color on the show is referred to as the primitive yeah and is like a monstrous frightening woman it's not so good she's like one of the most important characters in a weird way i think yeah because without her there would be no other slayers Mm -hmm. she's the start of the prophecy or whatever you want to call it yeah next up is righteous Yep, second story we're talking about is Righteous, written by Joss Whedon, penciled by Tim Sale, and inked by Tim Sale, is best known for doing Batman The Long Halloween, Catwoman When in Rome. See, I don't know any of this. Long Halloween's one of the influences for the new movie coming out, so that's cool. Oh, the R-Pats one? Yeah, the R-Rob... The R-Pat... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The R-Pattinson one, yes. Anyways, he drew the story that is one of the main influences to that oh, new movie. Oh, wow. How about um, that? He also did Daredevil Yellow and Spider-Man Blue. Those were all with Jeff Loeb, who also works on the TVs and movies. He works on the TVs? And the movies. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Colored by Lee Lowridge and lettered by Richard Starking. This one... Is from the point of view of a watcher. Yes. So that's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. I think. And I think it's fun that it rhymes. Is the writing really great? Like, is this a poem that I look at and go, that's pretty good? No. I definitely... I had to read it twice. Because I was like, I don't get what he's trying to tell me. Oh. Um, You found it confusing. I did find it confusing. I just sort of... My experience of judgment toward it was more about punctuation use, I think. Mm. Well, it feels like fake old English. Yeah. Which was confusing. Sure. Why why are they talking like this? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like trying to capture something, but doing it incorrectly. I like the main character, though. Do you mean the Slayer? I mean the Slayer. I think this is a cool Slayer. It's a good story. I like this story a lot, actually. I like it, too, um, but I like things that are quite gloomy. Hmm. It's It's very grim. It's very grim. It follows the idea from the last story of people being scared of the Slayers. Yes. She sees being a Slayer as a curse. Which uh, makes makes a sense. Can't tell her that that's incorrect. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really crushing because she sees it as a curse, doesn't want to do it, and eventually is like, fine, I'll do it to protect my people, you know? To, like, protect everyone, I will fight. Uh, St. Just, who has been going around from different villages and slaughtering people. And then when she eventually does face him and slay him, the townspeople decide that she's a witch and burn her alive? 
for saving them? that'll help them. That'll help them. That'll help them. They're getting rid of all the evil by burning the witch who Mm -hmm. saved their lives. It's a good idea. And it's really, like, intense because you get to see her facial expression. You see tears running down. Then you also get to see the Watcher's expression because he can't help. Yeah. In that one scene, it's, like, it's haunting, that one page. Mm -hmm. And the Watcher's choice to get revenge on them, on the village, for burning his slayer alive is to open the gates. Let all the vampires in. Invite all the vampires in. Show them the error of their ways. I think it's fitting. It's a good response. I love the way it's drawn on the last page of him just laying there, like, holding the gates open. Tim Sale really, when he's on it, he's on it. The, like, contrast that he uses looks really good. Yeah, so who knows what the rest of that Watcher's life was like. You don't think he died? Do you think he died? He just sort of gave up and was like, fuck everything, I'll just get eaten. I don't think he would live it, no. I think he would die with the village. I mean, because it's possible that if all the vamps go storming in to the village, and he just sort of slips out, but then where is he I don't think he wants to live. He's lost the will to live. Same. He feels like he has failed his slayer, which he did, Mm -hmm. and watching in that it's his fault she's dead. She didn't want to do it. He talked her into it. Yeah. So all that internal and guilt, he's uh, ready to die. Let's those vamps uh, kill everyone. He reminds me of Wesley. Is my brain not working? I don't know. Do you not think he's like Wesley in a way? Because I feel like there's so many times where Wesley's like, I failed as being a blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's just... He does all the time. He failed at being a watcher, and he felt really guilty about it. He failed Faith horribly. Yeah, but he doesn't do anything like this. No, he feels terrible about it. We see an angel See, that's why I was like, is my brain broken? Because I'm like, what did Wes do? He doesn't quite do that. Point remains. Failed watcher, failed watcher. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way Giles responded right after second time Buffy dies. That thing where you can really see the connection between the Watcher and the Slayer. I think it's it's good. It's interesting. Oh, that's another thing as well. Like, at some point, Watchers became a thing. I do and wonder when, how. And that why. Part and how. Like, shouldn't like the Shadow Men have functioned as Watchers for the first Slayer? But they were just like, okay, we're going to demon you up and just chuck you out into the world. Bye. That's enough. You can figure that out. I guess maybe they just didn't know what they had created or something. They just had some sense they had to do it. I imagine there's somewhere in some of the lore that explains when the Watchers came around, but I don't know Maybe we'll find out. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Oh, was I going to complain about something? I have a note that says, funky caption placement, page 19. What does that mean? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't like that at all. Which part? On page 19, like, this, and then this line is separate and all the way over here. And it's not terribly good, either. It's to put one. One maiden dressed in white. I mean, I love that image of her. This is like a. I, I do feel think like that's presented weirdly. That lettering over to underneath it could have been better. The other way, right? yeah. 
The placement could have been better. I think, actually, the next page, the placement bothers me more. The, oh, yeah, like, get out of there. In those that dared to look that night, a glorious tale could tell. The girl who faced the devil's might and sent him back to hell. So that, I think they could have placed those a lot better. Because for some reason, they put them on his hands. <laughs> so it's kind of like the vampires throwing the words at the slayer yeah which is kind of cool but i don't think they're going for that yeah i pr- yeah i probably would have put them found some like black space to slide the mm-hmm. words into i do think i would like to read this before the lettering happened because there's some really cool images that i just want to stare at and the lettering kind of gets in my way I feel like with this page they could have done they could have done like top left corner mm-hmm. bottom right corner on the opposite page so that you have there's more space that's just the picture oh yeah where's you know? the fold so what I would have done this yeah top left and then the second sentence whatever I would have just lowered it just put it under his okay. finger in that black space mm-hmm. it would have been better because I think the real trick to it is if they had just found like the chunks of open black space to slide the letters in it's not disrupting the image as much mm-hmm. and I can see all the details like right now I I'm cannot see one of his fingers and it's really bothering me <laughs> he looks like he has three fingers and a thumb maybe he does maybe for all we know he does but I see a knuckle Three fingers, a thumb, and a floating knuckle. Mm-hmm. I want to see that finger. Tim Silpride did a very good job on that finger. Beautiful finger under there. It's probably really nice. Let me see the finger. <laughs> you know? And then on the other one, I can't see his, uh, the end of his shirt. Come on. I don't know. Is he wearing a cufflink? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's hidden. Show me the art. Yeah. Yeah. And the one uh, you were talking about before, they also, if they had just slid the insane dressed way there stood but one over to the left and put it above the one made in dressed in white, I think it would have worked better because it would have been hiding less of the details. Mm-hmm. That's my thing. With lettering, I want it to hide as few intricate lines as possible. I yes. see every little line. Mm-hmm. Does one of the Slayers have a flashback to this? Some point. I feel like that happens. Like we see the end, not the end, but part of this in the show. Like, are you thinking season seven? I'm unsure, but I feel like we see at one point the like Slayer getting burned alive being a witch but i could just be wrong there's a season three episode called gingerbread okay wherein buffy's mother starts that group called moo and moo tries to burn amy and willow and buffy at the stake and amy turns into a rat so i'm thinking of hmm i don't know what i'm thinking of what about that one where uh the girl's in the mental hospital it's having flashbacks to slayers Ah, I don't think we see anything. 
sooner than I thought we did. I don't think so. Hmm. I like that episode. Yeah. I like when his hands get cut off. Whoa. It's pretty good. Harsh. Tale three. Yeah. The innocent. This one was the Amber Benson one, right? Yes. yes. She wrote this one. I didn't give me one sec. I want to look up Ted Nafa. Okay. Oh yeah, this is the Courtney Crumrin guy. Okay. The Innocent. It's written by Amber Benson, who you probably know as Tara from the show. Penciled by Ted Nafay, who is most well known for doing the Courtney Crumrin series. Colored by Dave Stewart, who did an earlier coloring. And lettered by Michelle Madsen, who we've also already seen. I really like the sound effects in this one. I'm just going to say it right away. There's a splat. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Like I've never heard that sound before, well. but I'm very into it. I'm going to start claiming to hear splats. Jeez. And the creaks. That's really good, too. The creak. That's a good one. What else we got? What else we got? Oh, there's a really intense oomph. Like that. Uh, How would you say that? What page are you on? It's supposed to be a spit, so it's supposed to be a patoof. But they spell it P-P-P-F-H-H. So I think it's... That one, I don't agree with that writing. Sorry, I was just going through all the sound effects. Yeah. But I don't think they wrote it the right way. Personal thought on sound effects. That's my rundown on the sound effects from this story. Yeah, I don't When you put a letter like P multiple times in a row, yeah. that's not really how that sound works. <laughs> yeah. Because also when you... Because you can't really extend the sound of a P. No. Because it's just like, puh, 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 is what I think when I see it. But if she's spitting, I think of it as being like a patoof kind of thing. Like, that's an intense spit. But, you know, it gets the point across. Or even like a... I want a T in there. Or something. Yeah, I want a T in there. Mm-hmm. Not P-F-H. This is a great podcast. Hey, sound effects are important. I French Revolution. I like um, the statue being used as a hand hold by the vampire and the mouth. Yeah, it looks like the statue's going. (gasps) So, yeah, man, what? They're climbing up the side of a cathedral or something. All of them. The watcher is up there as well. Oh, no, that's one into it, Watcher. Yeah, he's hardcore. Not only... Jean. What? Jean? Do you think it's Jean? Jean! I said Jean. I guess it would be Jean, because it's like Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> Fine, Picard. So they're climbing up this cathedral. Jean falls down. But she catches him. Hooray! And... This part makes no sense to me, actually. So she catches him. Uh-huh. And then he slams into a statue, hugs the statue, but then she falls. Okay. 
Where is she hiding that steak? That is one of my notes that I wrote in my notebook here when I was reading. I'm like, where did that come from? In her boot? I don't believe it for a second that it fit in there. It was definitely in her boot. Now I'm looking more closely. I agree with you. I don't think it would actually <laughs> fit, but it's a cool idea. Because, yeah, that outfit doesn't leave much. No. The vampire says no. Please. Is that all that means? Or? I think so. You're right. It does just mean please. I was right. And yep, I never good. took French. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Claudine. Oh, man. Yeah, and in this one, uh, they broke one of the rules. One of the watcher rules. Making out? Yeah, you're not supposed to be romantically involved with uh, the Slayer. Is that a watcher rule? I thought it was. When? I don't know, but I thought it was. Maybe I just made it up. Maybe you did. But I was pretty sure it's a thing. Still am pretty sure. Okay. That it's mentioned. But maybe not. Maybe I just... In my mind, <laughs> it's believe... your se- it's your sense of ethics. Yes, it's my uh, moral compass. Cause it's like, it's like dating your teacher, but this is your chosen only teacher. See, no, the power dynamics all wrong. Yeah. Then this guy's a creep. <laughs> Jean is not a good guy. Yeah, he tells her to go take out a an aristocratic tyrant vampire and so she goes to do that and it turns out he was just a man it's true the whole family sees pretty fucked up she murders him in front of his whole family i mean i feel like they were in the next room <laughs> they were just one room away it's okay well yeah and then they <laughs> She opened the door after stabbing him when she heard them yelling. Then she goes and finds Jean and is understandably very angry. Man, listen, though. If this dude, like, if he's out there climbing cathedrals, why doesn't he go fucking... Why doesn't he go... It's safer to have her do it. It's fucked up. She's more powerful. Ugh. He should go do it himself. I do wonder, though. You know? Yeah, that's not her job. But he's got this line. Um, he was an aristocratic pig who deserved to die. They all deserve to die. They hide from Madame Guillotine. But I will find them and send my angel of death to destroy them. I don't like how creepy and manipulative he is. Yeah. But I think he might be on the right side of history. For the French Revolution, right? Sure. I feel like he is. I feel like they were really terrible people. You just you shouldn't manipulate. He, yeah, someone. he shouldn't be tricking someone into doing anything. I agree. I don't think it makes her that evil because they do end up beheading all of those people. You know. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't take it so. I mean, she should be pissed at him. <laughs> she shouldn't take it so personally. <laughs> uh, she should be very <laughs> upset with. Jean, but I don't think she should be too worried about being evil now that she killed that guy. Yeah. It's my uh, take. Then after that, yeah, she's destroyed. She's like, you made me a cold killer, cold-blooded murderer. And uh, Blame calls herself evil. 
And she asks, how to fight that? How can you fight your own inner evil? Does she have an inner evil here? Or this is just guilt? It's just guilt, but I think it's this classic, like, you don't realize how awful people are. But then when you look around, there's not great people all around you, you know? And then you probably do some things that aren't great, you know? That's what I think it is. I'm going to try and be deep with it. The end there. Well, I don't think it was great. Talking about self-improvement. That's (laughs) all about self-improvement. And how do you change the things you don't like about yourself. But hers is to a greater degree because she's born to kill vampires. And now I feel like she feels guilt even doing that in a weird way because hmm. it starts with one vampire asking her please don't kill me yeah followed by her killing a human who's like just don't kill my kids you know okay yeah and so she feels like she's this like relentless killing machine how do you fight that i wonder what she does after this we probably never find out I wonder. I wonder how old she is as well. I just wonder how old all these people are. There's no... Okay, so I think the one in Righteous is like 18. Okay. Because of the way she is both drawn and portrayed. And just the way the Watcher makes it sound. I feel like she's very young. Like she's just accepted that she is a slayer. This one, I feel like, has been doing it for a while, you know? And she's, like, having this romantic relationship with Gene, but he's kind of... Gene! I keep calling that, I know. Uh, Having this romantic relationship with Jean, and I just... I feel like she's probably a little older. Probably, like, 22. That's my guess. 22. Yeah, so that's it on tails for now um okay let's look at the friggin Frankenstein situation shall we um next up we're talking about Angel vs. Frankenstein in the air written and drawn by John Byrne who is most well known for drawing X-Men for many years a lot of the classic costumes and designs that you think of were from him. He also did a really good series called Next Men that I would suggest checking out. This was during a weird time period where he just did licensed books. He mostly wrote Angel licensed books and Star Trek. Lots and lots of Star Trek. Oh, and as far as getting a physical copy of this, um, the single issue came out in 2009. And then there's also the Angel John Byrne collection that came out in 2011. That's a hardcover. We read the single issue. Yes, we did. It's true. Also, the colors are... are, are <laughs> colors uh, by Rhonda Pattison. Nice. Lettering by Robbie Robbins. It's a good name. So yeah, I think this came out around Halloween. Yes, this came out in October of 
2009. Spooky times! Mm -hmm. Angel goes to Geneva pretending to be an heir to Frankenstein's fortune. This was so silly. I like... Also, it's so vicious. And I don't understand his facial hair. It bothers me. Who? Angels. He has facial hair sometimes in the show, in flashbacks. Yeah, but also I feel like it it varies in here. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> it shouldn't. <laughs> it really shouldn't. I don't see a problem with that, you know? Sometimes you have facial hair, sometimes you don't. It's like magic. Great. Yep. Then also when he shaves, it probably just grows back really fast because of the healing. We're not going to have this (laughs) argument because we've been recording for a billion years and I just don't want to deal with it. Fine. I'm just stating that's what I think happens. How did they meet? Oh, Frankenstein goes to meet the most vile people he can. So here's the thing. This Frankenstein is very much like him at his meanest in the book. Yeah, this is not... the Frankenstein's monster is not like this by the end of the book, Frankenstein. This is like him a couple chapters before the ending. The, he has a time period where he is like this villainous. Then he gets over it. No, this just keeps him there. Yeah, at the end, he's like, I'm going to go set myself on fire and die because I'm so sad and tormented. But that's not that's not what's happening here. No, this he still some wants... some kind of baloney. Well, he's stuck on revenge. Still wants revenge on the man who gave him life. Which is fair. If I was him, I'd want revenge. Although I guess Dude's maybe maybe what's happened in the interim here is that he perhaps tried to burn himself to death and it didn't work because he's like invincible or something. Oh, true. And so that reignited his rage. Hmm. See, this is 1800. You liked this art, I think on this page. I do like that page. It looks like... Uh, page 8. <laughs> on page 8, yeah, the way Frankenstein's monster is drawn, it looks very heavily like John Byrne staring at a Bernie Wrightson drawing and recreating it. And uh, Bernie Wrightson is probably the greatest Frankenstein artist of all time. So... Nice. Looks good. Mm-hmm. Some of the art in the book, not, not as good. We also think there's a weird thing where John Byrne's such a classic artist that when you get a more modern colorist on it, they're doing these, like, digital shading techniques. It doesn't quite translate to the line work. He needs more flats. Hmm. I'm looking at my notes. I'm looking at my notes. I'm looking at my notes. Yeah. My notes are like, does he have mutton chops and then no longer have mutton chops? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, When he vamps out, they disappear, right? Oh, also, this is not intended for children under 13. Well, it's kind of a little scary. It's a little scary. There's lots of murder. 
very short, quick description of what happens is Angel goes to try to steal the Frankenstein family fortune, but then it turns out that there isn't really any. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he and the monster have a fight, basically. Yeah. And they're the, like the, the important things that happen. The plan to steal the fortune was a plan made by Frankenstein's monster. Yes. Um, and him and Angel originally made the plan together, and then Angel betrayed him. Because he's evil. He's so he's evil. evil. I guess we should be calling him Angelus yeah, this whatever. whole time. But whatever. <sighs> Same guy. Same guy. In a way. <laughs> Debatable. Um, you could argue either direction. But yeah, and they have a big fight. And at the end, it's a mystery of, did they live? Did they not? I think Angel died. Me too. But yeah, they have this big fight. They're like hitting each other with rocks and throwing each other mm-hmm. on the ground. While the villagers are coming for them as well. Yeah. Pretty dramatic. They get shot at. Yeah. I just did not care for this one too much. I thought it was okay. Kind of fun, Elseworld type deal or something. What? Wrong word, but like, kind of fun. Elseworld? That's what I said. What is that? Is that anything? Did you just make it up? It's a comic book term, meaning it's not in the normal continuity. Ah. Is it really? I'm looking it up. I don't know anything. Arguably, this could be in continuity. But it's like a fun, like, weird... What if Angel met Frankenstein's monster? And I'm like, okay, that's cheesy. I'm into it. When did Angel become a vampire? Uh, Angel became a vampire in 1753. So he'd been a vampire for less than 50 years at this point. Okay. And then I think he gets his soul in 1889. Hold on. I'm consulting the internet. Not 1889. 1898. Oh, you were close. So this is nearly 100 years before Angel's curse. And there is Angel versus Frankenstein part two, which takes place after that. My hopes are not high for it. I think it'll be amazing. <laughs> okay. Oh, but you... It, about continuity, we didn't point out that a lot of the stuff we're reading is not... Um, much of it is apocryphal, one might say. It doesn't matter. I think generally stuff that Joss Whedon directly worked on would be considered canonical and the Buffyverse, yeah. whereas other stuff such as this would be like, nah, nah, didn't happen. But, like, it could have happened. But, like, who cares? Yeah, I don't think we need to really bring it yeah. up. Unless there's something that, like, really makes no sense. Well, the thing about that, though, is there's stuff, like, within the show that does not dovetail with itself. Yeah, that makes so. sense. We did it. Did we? We're done. I don't think so. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Now go home.
<laughs> Get out of my <laughs> living room. <laughs> Good night. It's bedtime. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about some more of Tales of the Slayers and also some of Tales of the Vampires. And to find the schedule and reading list, you can visit our website, buffyversecomicbookclub.com. 